Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I discuss many of the things going on with the Chiefs, including kind of a reshuffling of the offensive line uh, with Laurent Duvernay-Tardif opting out, Kalechi Wassemele signed. No better person to discuss this with than Joe Valero. Um, you know, I, I wrote something uh, recently, kind of a fun piece on the connection between Tommy Bahama and Andy Reid. Uh, he's kind of their unofficial spokesman. He's always mentioning them, always wearing them, but it's not an in an official capacity. Um, I spoke to the CEO uh, of the company, Doug Wood, and he even said that he first became aware of it during his Philadelphia days because during the winter meetings, or excuse me, not the, the winter meetings, the owners' meetings, um, all the other coaches or personnel would be in suits or team polos, and he would be wearing Tommy Bahama Hawaiian shirt. So it's a fun at, fun thing now. They gift him about five or six uh, free shirts a year after a, a Chiefs uh, staffer, you know, informed him of his interest. And really that's uh, kind of all it is. It's like an unofficial spokesperson. But that got me thinking, Joe, during all your years playing football, do you have some favorite kind of swag you got with the Chiefs? Clothing stories, okay. God, Jeff, there's so many issues around clothing with football <laughs> players. Well, first, let's go back to Andy. Look, he's a lineman. Of course, he's going to go for the most comfortable wear, right? <laughs> I mean, I just I remember when when we would, you know, Marty was always really buttoned up, right? I mean, Marty always looked good. I mean, Marty was from the old school. You know, he was a suit and tie, collared shirt guy. So the the only rule that we had with the Chiefs when I was playing in the 90s under, under Coach Schottenheimer was that on an away trip, you could not wear shorts and you had to wear a collared shirt. So I'll never forget Neil Smith asking in a meeting once, and if, if some of the listeners are a little bit older and remember 90s fashion, there were these shirts called banded collars. Mm -hmm. which were nice. I mean, you know, Neil Smith was probably one of our better dressed players, right? He and Derek were always dressed to the nines. And, and I'll never forget a meeting where, where Neil and Marty had like a 10 minute debate on whether a banded collar shirt was going to meet muster for Marty's collared shirt <laughs> dress code. And so, you know, fashion and the NFL always go side by side. Um, you know, when you see some players who really enjoy, you know, displaying their fashion and their fashion sense. And then there are, there are people like a lot of times linemen, right. Go back to the Andy Reed comment, right. He's, he wear, he's wearing comfortable Tommy Bahama, like, you know, flowered beat shirts, right. Which is fantastic. And that's, that, that's what you would expect out of coach Reed. Much, much respect to coach Reed for that. For me, you know, clothing was, we were. A lot of times, Jeff, you know, um, whether a player had a, a foundation they were supporting or a foundation, some foundation work that they were doing for charity work and things like that. We were always passing around T-shirts um, to each other. 
Like I have, I still have them. And, and, and my wife, Jen gets so mad. She sees these shirts that I have from the nineties, right? These things are approaching. Some of them are going to be approaching 30 years old at this point. <laughs> I have one shirt. I love my Christian Okoye Nigerian nightmare stuff. Oh, I mean, that's that, just that collector's cool. items, right? I mean, you go back to Tecmo bowl and everybody knows, knows Christian. I have a shirt that Barry word put out called a word to the wise. And it was a, uh, for one of his charity programs, uh, Kevin Ross, whose nickname was rock. Uh, a lot of people called him the rock and, um, before like Dwayne Johnson, the rock. And, and, uh, I have a t-shirt that I'll, I will wear and it's, it's Kevin Ross solid as a rock and the rock is in quotations. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've got all these great kick. I've got my kick with Nick shirts. I've got my, my uh, uh, first downs for down syndrome was, was a charity that we were heavily involved with the offensive line uh, sponsored the uh, uh, first downs for down syndrome um, program for every first down that we would get, they would donate uh, to the down syndrome uh, society in, in Kansas city. So we, we like were always wearing like swag that we would pass around. And when those boxes would come to the locker room, players would, flock to them like seagulls on a french fry on the boardwalk i mean <laughs> it just like and be like you know here are guys that look you know everybody's making a decent living but man there was something about a free t-shirt or a free hat that that guys would just you know they had to have you know one or there was an old saying in the locker room if it's free it's for me <laughs> or if it's free take two like that was what, what guys used to say about the free swag that came in. And, and I remember as a lineman, I'll never forget uh, when we as a lineman group signed a deal with Apex, uh, which, you know, they were, they were an up and coming, you know, startup sort of shoe company. And, you know, they were trying to compete with the Converse back then and the Reeboks of the world and Nikes and, uh, you know, Under Armour really hadn't hit the scene yet. And I'll never forget, we all signed this like Apex contract and for these Apex shoes. And I got to say, uh, with all due respect, I'm not being critical of the company. I don't even think they really, I don't think they're still around. Are they, Jeff? Do you, have you? I don't I've, think have, so, but I remember exactly. I remember the Apex, those swirl jackets. You had like, the, uh, some teams had the starter jackets. The Chiefs had those cool swirl jackets and also those yes. shoes from Apex. So I look back on it now and they were total 90s. I mean, they were so, <laughs> That's so I think why I, I mean, love They're just like, <laughs> it dates you so bad. And um, I remember having some Apex sweatsuits. And I remember, I got to be honest. And again, like I'm not being critical, but the shoes were rough. <laughs> they they were they 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 didn't really hold up. I mean, it was pretty much a pair of shoes a game, you know, especially mm -hmm. when you're 300 pounds and, you know, you're pounding on AstroTurf with all that weight and the way that offensive linemen move and the way they, you know, the way they put pressure on the sides of their foot and different things like that. It's not like a, a wide receiver who's kind of just going straight down the field or cutting and doing those things. You know, linemen put a lot of wear and tear on on shoes because of, of, of the weight, number one, and then what you're doing in them because your feet are always planted in the ground, right? And I just remember those shoes were kind of like, for lack of better terms, they were pretty disposable. Uh, you know, you pretty much wore them in one game and then, and then you kind of had to pitch them because uh, they would kind of blow out. So we, uh, you know, those are some of my, my, my clothing fashion stories. And, and Dave Zott and I used to sit next to each other uh, on the um, – on the uh, on the plane you know when we would fly to away trips and like i said marty's only rule there was no rule for home games you could dress however you wanted coming into a home game uh but on away trips you had to wear no shorts 
and a collared shirt. And most, mm-hmm. most players were really respectful of that rule. But, uh, you know, Dave and I many, many times would show up with a pair of jeans on, on the plane. Like we'd get to the airport and we'd, we'd be getting ready to go on the plane. We'd have uh, the same pair of jeans on, you know, just a nice, you know, just typical blue denim. And then, and then we'd have on like a lot of times, Jeff, we would have on the same free polo shirt that we had gotten either at a golf outing or, you know, that had come from Apex or, or, you know, some, one of the sponsors or something that, you know, at that time, Mike Davidson, and obviously now the chief's equipment manager, Alan Wright, who was, who was there when I was there working with Mike Davidson. And obviously now Alan's one of the premier, you know, equipment managers in the country. He, uh, he would, he would like, they would hand out some, you know, if they got like a double X from like somebody, a Reebok or somebody that was sending the equipment managers, they would always take care of the linemen first, especially with the bigger sizes. And uh, Dave and I, <laughs> I mean, like nine times out of 10, we'd show up, we would look like twins <laughs> sitting <laughs> next to great. each other on the plane in the same like red <laughs> apex polo shirt and, and a pair of jeans. So uh, we were, we were, we were not the fashion icons, um, that, that, that coach Reed is for sure. That, that's some really cool behind the scenes, uh, fun stuff there, Joe. And for the record, I'm signing with you. No way that you should get rid of those t-shirts, especially the Nigerian nightmare one. I, I'm oh, with yeah. you on this. Those, those are, uh, awesome collector's items. Yeah, that's just to name a few, Jeff. We could have a whole podcast probably on and then post them on a website or something, all the t-shirts I have. I, ha- I probably have, I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating, I probably have 100. Uh, <laughs> and, so and you know, Hayes' huddles, one that comes to mind. I mean, just, you know, Zot for Tots. You know, Dave Zot had a, had a charity program. I remember wearing the Zots for Tots. And I remember people recognizing that because Dave's kind of a local legend here on the East Coast in New Jersey. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, I can, <laughs> we could have a whole pod based on on those T-shirts that I have. And Jen, Jen gave me a rule. She said, if, if you're going to bring in one new T-shirt, one old one has to go out. So that's how we, we kept them, too, at least, you know, not from not having a thousand. So some good diplomacy on, on both you guys. Yes. That sounds like a very reasonable we worked it rule. Out. Uh, well, in, in Chiefs News this week, a lot was going on. Um, as we mentioned, Duvernay Tardif uh, became the first player to opt out of the 2020 season. Uh, for a while, I, you know, I thought, geez, the Chiefs are the team to be in the NFL, but I'm like, they're interior. They've had um, a lot of changes to that. They have, you know, 19 of 22 starters coming back from the Super Bowl championship team, but two of the starters they need to replace are now guards. But they then uh, signed Kalechi Osemele, a very intriguing guy former pro bowler but had uh with the raiders but had a very kind of up and down controversial season with the jets um he had a bad shoulder and he and the organization kind of argued about whether he he needed surgery he eventually did he was fined by them then released i think if he's got something left and he's a bit injury prone he could be a great replacement but joe you obviously know much more about this than i and and the versatility of these guys well what are your thoughts on the, the offensive line of the chiefs well jeff look i do i would be remiss if i didn't um make a point of what uh ldt is doing sure, you know, what laurent sure. is doing i mean look I, I know there has been i followed it on social media you know, I wanted to see what the fans were thinking. I wanted to see what the media was thinking. I wanted to see what other players were thinking. And look, I'm probably going to be in the minority when it comes to 
uh, working with the fans on this because I know, I know the fans were kind of like, look, you know, Laurent, this is, you know, you only get to be an, an, a professional athlete once. Right. And I, that, those were some of the posts, like that was like the, 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 the thought and some of the, the ideas behind it was like, look, you're giving up an opportunity, you know, the Super Bowl, you know, run back, you only get to do this once. And, and, and that is a reality, right? You only, the, the football players, you know, the average career is, you know, three or four years, you only, your body only lasts for so long and you only have so, so much gas in the tank to, to perform at that level. Uh, but, you know, I'm sorry to the fans who feel like he should, you know, he, he feel, if they feel like he has an obligation to, to play and to do that, you know, this, this, while, while some of the fans might think that this is LDT's chance to be on Super Bowl runback team and to, to use his, his sort of youthful, you know, athletic ability today, this, this, this COVID thing is also once in a generation, totally you know, great point. and if he has the wherewithal and the skills to go and help people and he feels compelled and called to do that, how can you not back that guy 110% and say this is what you were called to do and and you're going to have your whole life to live with that decision and of helping people and to to working with his patients and I, I give him all the credit in the world and I was so glad to see a lot of his teammates and a lot of NFL players supporting him right. um you know I know the fans are probably Joe, thinking what's the that way Jeff? you phrase it Joe was made it so understandable he's like yeah I can't be in a position where I'm on the field and potentially transmitting it, give it to other people, which, you know, when, when you're in the huddle, when you're on the line of scrimmage, it's probably easy to do. He can't be in that. He couldn't put him, himself in that position to transmit it when he could also be in that tra- position of preventing it, which was a great, very understandable and a very mm-hmm. noble position to take. Yeah. Look, Jeff, you know, people who, who study medicine the way that he did and you go to medical school and, you know, you kind of like – you know, you take an oath, right, to help people and, and to go above and beyond. And that's a, it's a calling. So, you know, yeah, I'm sure it was a lot of internal strife for him because it's two callings, right? It's one mm-hmm. is his calling as a professional athlete and his career and his teammates. He probably felt a lot of duty to his team um, and to the coaches and to the Hunt family and to all the people that are supporting the Chiefs. But, you know, he also had a greater calling to our society and to our community. So, you know, I, I, I just think it's really cool. I mean, how many people can be in that position um, where they can make that kind of choice? And, and I just, my hat's off to him. I wish him the best that he stays self, healthy and safe and that he is able to help as many people as he possibly can um, and, and, and wishing him well, which, you know, in reality does leave a hole for the Chiefs that they have to fill. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, you know signing uh, Asmeli, I, I think – you know, if there was an organization that somebody was going to come into that, like you said, had that up and down past, right? And whatever it might, whatever it may have been, whether it was injuries or butting heads with general management or management and coaching staff on, on, a, on a prior team, the Chiefs are the organization where you're going to come to and you're going to, you're going to find your place because it, it, the chemistry is so strong with this team. The bond backs – I organization with, you know, not like a checkered pass. It isn't like it's, you know, there's, it, it wasn't like it was other, like where we've seen other players, you know, getting away from other things, but you know, 
but just coming into this team, I think it's going to provide an environment for him to, to be able to be successful. And it will be a testament and a test of that chemistry um, that this team has. But it's, it's still, it was the one position that I was looking forward to really solidifying, right? You know, when you talk about all the starters coming back, offensive line, you know, and I'm not just saying it because I played the position. It's going to make it sound like I'm, a, I'm an offensive lineman homer right? That it's all, you know, about the line. And, but I am a true believer if, if, you know, trying to put my objective hat on as much as I possibly can, the offensive line is probably the one position group where chemistry is so critical as a unit. Now you have to have chemistry among your receivers and your quarterback, right? They have Mm -hmm. to know each other's timing and they have to know that. But when you look at a group of players, that have to communicate on a regular basis that have to have, and we talked about this and we went to, into some detail in one of our other pods, zone blocking, knowing where your buddy is, you know, knowing where he's going to be and anticipating where his, his hips are going to come to your hips and you're going to be able to, to block that, that double team and get your movement together. Uh, you know, pass protection, passing off stunting linemen, you know, on defense, everything is going forward, right? Everything is going towards the quarterback. It's going toward the running back. It's going toward the receiver. There's coordination, yes, believe me. It's like a ballet out there that people don't really even see sometimes. But offensive line play is by far, I think, head and shoulders above other position groups, whereas a unit, you have to have that chemistry, you have to have that timing, and you have to have that ability to anticipate where your buddy is going to be, where he came from, you know, on a particular blocking scheme, where he's going. And I'm a little worried now because of that with some of the, you know, unknowns and some of the, some of the folks that are coming in and and the fact that all five of them aren't coming back. Then again, yeah, Patrick Mahomes back there. He probably will make things work. Right. Totally. But Joe, yeah, great point about the chemistry and, um, for the Chiefs, you know, looking at that offensive line, you look at the edges, they're really set. I mean, right tackle mm-hmm. Mitchell Schwartz is as good as there is in the NFL. Uh, and Eric Fisher, a former number one overall pick, the Chiefs were actually undefeated when he played last year in, in uh, all of his games. Uh, he was banged up a little bit last year. So if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator, I, I see that edge. I I – I try and just generate all the pressure up the middle and see if those two new new guys. Now, again, I, I like the Osemele signing a lot. Like he was a talented player before. He might have lost a step and be a little bit injury prone, but a really good uh, replacement. But that said, do you, um, and they also have Mike Remmers. They have Lucas Niang, who they can maybe move inside, mm-hmm. played outside a little bit in college. So they, you know, and they have great, offensive line coaches and Andy Hack, Andy Reid, like you said, is in, at the beginning of the pod is a former offensive lineman, really knows the position. So there is, while I do have confidence in the, chief there, in the Chiefs there, given the way their offensive line looks, with the talent on the edge, with the reshuffling inside, don't you agree that that's, if you're a defensive coordinator, that's where you attack? Yeah, you nailed it, Jeff. That's exactly, you have to go after the weakness, right? And if... If, um, you know, if you're going to try to disrupt Patrick Mahomes and what he's doing, you're going to, you're going to attack the weakness. And, and I would imagine with obviously the NFL announcing that there's no preseason, right? We're not going to have, we're not going to even have those limited games. Um, you know, we're going to be thrown to the, 
to the Wolves at, at the beginning of the season with, with some relative unknowns. You watch those first couple of games, people, defensive coordinators uh, are going to be coming right after those, those interior three, and they're going to be throwing the kitchen sink up the middle um, and seeing how Patrick handles that. Um, and try to flush him out of the pocket, which can be a double-edged sword for a defensive coordinator. You get him outside the pocket, you don't know what's going to happen. Right? He, he can make some fantastic plays out there, so they're going to have to be really mindful of, of what their defensive ends are doing, too, to contain him. But uh, I would imagine that, um, that there's gonna be, they're going to try to wreak havoc in the middle of them is, is, is what's in the interior. You know, what's also interesting, too, is – this is something to watch not only this season, uh, but, but going forward, too, uh, on the interior. We mentioned uh, Mike Remmers, who also is an intriguing guy. He's very versatile. He might end up starting at one of the um, vacated guard positions, but he's only on a one-year deal. And then mm-hmm. uh, Austin Ryder, the, the center, and, and guard Andrew Wiley, who also might be in the mix for a starting position to start a lot of the games last year before uh, Wisniewski came on uh, at left guard. Um, They're all slated to become free agents after the 2020 season. And going further, um, you know, Duvernay Tardif is actually, uh, if he's cut prior to June 1st, 2021, the Chiefs only take a nominal hit. Um, And he's a guy, Duvernay Tardif has so much going on in his life. He has a great career to fall back on. I'm not sure if he's a guy that necessarily wants to play until he's 35 because he has this great career. So this is a very interesting position group uh, to watch for not only 2020, but going forward, uh, what the Chiefs are going to do. Yeah, Jeff, I mean, that's that's going to put a lot of pressure on, um, you know, it's going to put a lot of pressure on what those guys um, – and how they perform, right? Because they're they're gonna they're gonna want to make sure that they, um, you know, that that they're that they're doing everything they can to solidify their futures as as free agents, right? I mean, they're they're all gonna want that starting position, right? I mean, they're all they're all gonna want to have some film, you know, recent film uh, on, on that they can share with, you know, scouts and, and that their agents can share and that they're going to be able to go in and see, you know, how those players, uh, you know, would make it, would make an addition to another team. You know, if the chiefs can't sign them all, right. We know that the chiefs are going to be strapped come, you know, 2021, 2022, as far as trying to maneuver through all of the cap stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm doubly interested to see how, you know, Andy Heck and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and how everybody keeps, um, you know, keeps those guys fresh, uh, you know, and, and wanting them to, to make sure that they have the right people, um, you know, out there. So any, any predictions on kind of how this shakes out? Another person I didn't mention was Martinez Rankin, another guy in the mix uh, between him, Remmers, recently signed Osemele, Andrew Wiley, like I said, who started a, a lot last year before Wisniewski, who, who will be a big loss. How do, how do you see this interior kind of uh, shaking out? Who do you think plays the most? Well, I think, well, I think, I think writers obviously got the lock mm-hmm. at the center, right? Sure. And I think they have, they have to go with the consistency there. Um, you know, if, if it were me just looking back on, you know, if, if, um, 
Wiley gets healthy. He's got the most experience in this offense. He's got the most experience playing with Patrick and, and trying to understand, um, you know, where Patrick's going to be on any particular play uh, in the pocket. And he's probably played the most snaps, um, you know, with Austin Ryder. So I, I think, I think a Wiley Ryder combination is probably the way they go into it, into the season. I think just based on, almost like it's Wiley's position to lose considering he was, you know, was a mm-hmm. starter and you don't want to, you don't want to penalize people for, you know, and losing jobs for, for, for being injured. And then I think, I think the battle, it, it's going to be a battle right between Remmers and assembly. And I think, you know, if, if I think assembly probably has a little, has more potential, I think to, to be, you know, a full-time starter um, and then I think Remmers was brought in sort of as a stopgap. Mm-hmm. And I, I, if, so if I were looking at it, I would say it would be Assembly, Ryder, and Wiley uh, as the, the as the three interior going into to, to the season. I think that's how I think that's how it'll shake out. Now, granted, and you know, obviously that health and and how everybody performs at camp, but you know, they're not even going to have preseason games to to see right. how they do. So it's going to be it's going to be wild, right, to see how that all plays out. So. Um, but that, that's, that's my prediction for going into the season, just based on what I've seen of assembly and what I know of coaches wanting to keep some sense of consistency on, on the line. And I think Wiley and, and Ryder can, can, can keep that going. And I think that would, that would lead to a front five with the, the least amount of disruption. Great, great analysis, Joe, and that, that makes sense to for, for that continuity there. Yeah, I, I think Osemele has the most potential, the most talent, but I, I think he's probably the most risk in the sense of an injury. I, I don't know if he can at this point in his career last the season. Uh, Remmers is an interesting candidate because of his versatility. He's going to be nice this year. I'm sure guys are going to be missing time with, you know, all the, all the uh, COVID mm-hmm. risks, and he's a guy who can play uh, yeah. Anywhere. And that's probably why the, what they'll probably do with him, Jeff, is they'll probably, you know, you don't want to penalize somebody and keep them from being a starter because they're a utility player. But I, I saw a lot of players fall into that where you don't want to risk them not getting reps at other positions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, cause you want them to be versatile, right? You want them to, to be able to go in at left guard, left tackle center, wherever. And I think that's what Remmers does. So I think you don't want to penalize him if, if he performs, better than assembly you start him you know you don't you don't but if if all things were equal i think they keep him off the field so that they can have him ready to plug in at any position which is sometimes a strategy that offensive line coaches will use totally spoken from a man who is very versatile himself along the offensive line yeah right it makes it sound like makes it sound like that's the reason why i feel like i wasn't a starter right so because they they wanted to save me they wanted to save me for the utility (laughs) position and jump in whenever you know anybody got hurt right so (laughs) Um, another uh, fun story that we'll touch on this week was Patrick Mahomes, who could go do no wrong in the eyes of Kansas City fans up for so many reasons. Another cool thing that he becomes a minority part owner of the Kansas City Royals. So cool for so many reasons. One, it just, um, you know, his baseball background, his dad, the, the pitcher, yeah. makes for a cool story. Uh, and also, again, to ingratiate himself further to the fans. I mean, it's like he becomes even more of a Kansas City institution. He's already locked up for 10 years. Now he's investing um, in the baseball team. Yeah, how about that? I mean, you know, when you have a half a billion dollars laying around and you want to buy something, right? I mean, you know, 
some people, when they get a new job, you know, they, they get a new car or they, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe they treat themselves to a motorcycle or a jet ski or something, you know, <laughs> Patrick goes out and buys himself a baseball team. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's awesome. No, and I just, I say that in, in jest. It's, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, it's a great move for the city. It's a great move for, you know, the Sherman ownership group and, uh, you know, hey, Eric Stone Street, right? Another celebrity uh, part owner of the Royals, right? I mean, they're, they're building quite an ownership group. If you look at that list of folks that, uh, that have an ownership stake in the Royals. And I, look, they're, you know, I've been around sports my whole life and, and obviously grew up in Philly. Um, you know, we had some great teams here and, and, and I think there was always great synergy in, in the city of Philadelphia among, you know, different professional sports um you know we were lucky enough in philadelphia i was lucky enough to grow up having four teams right mm -hmm. hockey soccer i mean hockey basketball uh football and baseball and then we always had a, a some soccer presence right we have the philadelphia union and i know the you know kansas city does as well you know we always had you know good college sports like kansas city so you know i i i i just i've never seen anything like the partnership between the royals and the chiefs though you know the way you know back i go back to my days of, of the the Sharing a parking lot too. I mean, even the, the proximity, hunts. you know? Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, the Kaufman's and the Hunts, just two unbelievably classy families. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Kansas City fans, you know, they may or may not remember this, you know, I mean, especially some of the younger ones. But there was a time when, I know when they were building the stadiums, there was actually talk they were going to build a roof that could be right. on roller tracks right. between the two. And I was talking to a friend from Kansas City about that the other day, and, and they didn't realize, they, they didn't know that. They didn't know that that was something that was in the plans at one point. Um, and, you know, I just think, I think the synergies between the two franchises is fantastic. Um, there was always a lot of camaraderie among um, players. I mean, at least when I was there, a little inside a baseball, no pun intended, but um, we, had, we, had a, we had a group of folks that, um, you know, participated in some sort of like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, outside of the organization sort of fellowship, right? And um, we, had, uh, we had a chaplain, uh, Mike Lasardi, God rest his soul, he passed away recently. Um, he was actually the chaplain for the Chiefs and the Royals. So sometimes we would have group events and we would get together and socialize with their families, which was fantastic, right? Uh, you know, through, through that fellowship group. And, you know, that just, um, you know, that just speaks, speaks of the organizations, right? And, and, and I think this is great for Patrick to do that. It's so funny because, you know, He's 24 years old and, you know, he's like part owner of a, uh, you know, of a baseball franchise while he's still playing. Like he still has mega years ahead of him, right? Like it's not like he's Derek Jeter who just, you know, retired after, you know, a 15-year career with the Yankees and he, you know, gets an ownership in a team or, you know, the way that, you know, some athletes do like Michael Jordan did. I mean, he's still playing. I mean, he's still an active player. He's 24 years old. He's got his whole future ahead of him in football, and he's a part owner of a of a of a you know billion dollar uh, franchise, which is which is fantastic, and it's great for him, and it's it's great for the city, and it, it just shows that he's committed to the whole Philadelphia sports scene for sure. Totally, and I like how you talked about the synergy between the the Chiefs and Royals. Uh, such a fun story. Glad you also mentioned the Eric Stone Street because one thing that I do want to note, it, it's a really fun story and speaks to why we all like 
uh, Mahomes so much. Um, but a lot of the media stories, oh, he's part owner of the Royals. Well, they're, they're just so people know that there's more than 20 minority owners. He's not yeah. going to be calling the shots. There's a lot right. of guys like Eric Stone Street, a lot of uh, major influential businessmen in Kansas City. So just keep that in mind. It's a, a, a neat story, but it, you know, it is not totally uncommon for um, uh, successful athletes successful entertainers to have a small uh, part ownership of a team, but, but still very cool. No, no definitely. And it's, and when it's a win for everybody, it's a win-win, right? It's an investment for Patrick with his money. I mean, look at, just look at the way that sports franchises have uh, accumulated value and increased in value over the years, right? It's insane, right? I mean, it's an insane investment if you have the, the money and, and the dollars to do it, right? So number one, it's a win for him. It gets him back involved with baseball it shows his commitment to the city and it's a win for the Royals. They get some capital. Uh, they get the public relations of it. You know, now they've got this ownership group coming together where they're probably making very diverse decisions. I mean, look, there's so many studies out there right now. When you talk about diverse groups uh, and, and the, and the effect of having multiple people with different ideas and different backgrounds coming together, think about if they had an owner's meeting, right. And how many great ideas are going to come out of, this diverse ownership group that they have and diversity in, in many ways, you know, diversity in, and not just your typical diversity in, in, in race, religion, or things like that, but you got diversity of careers, you got diversity of backgrounds, diversity of, you know, where, where these folks were, have found their success, you know, whether it's like Eric in, in entertainment or, or Patrick in football and, you know, all these, these, these different, these different ownership group uh, folks. So, you know, diverse groups make for great decisions. And I think it's, it's going to benefit everybody. And, and the organization will probably come up with some fantastic ideas about how to increase the customer experience, you know, for the, for the spectators with to go back and not be cardboard cutouts in the, in the stands. Um, but, you know, this is, it's just going to add so much to, to the organization. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic. It's so fantastic. Well, if you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes or available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.